Today's scripture reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true, and is given to us in love. Hey everyone, um, my name is Harrison, I'm the associate pastor here. If you're new and haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I'd love to meet you. Uh, please come introduce yourself after the service. Um, so we're getting back into Acts today, and as we saw earlier in Acts, the, the church was commanded, the early church, by Jesus to be witnesses for him to the world. And uh, to testify to what they had seen and heard uh, with him. Uh, both through their words and through how they lived as a people. Uh, we saw, and we saw um, a passage describing how they lived in this unique way. The early church was this kind of utopian uh, community, the way it was described. It was a picture of life as we were meant to live as human beings in the beginning before, fall and sin, before sin and the fall came into the world. Um, it felt like it was heaven breaking in. Uh, and, and part of that description is this in Acts 2, uh, Acts 2.44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So they essentially had a huge benevolence fund uh, where people were willingly selling items, bringing the money, and that would be given to those who were struggling, which was a ton of people in the first century uh, where the Jews were being occupied by Romans and, and under persecution. And we saw also that uh, through other passages, thousands and thousands of people were being added uh, onto the church because of this witnessing they were doing. Um, two passages alone had 5,000 people added. And the thing is, if you've been a part of a church before, that the problem with that kind of growth, growth is you've got some growing pains. And one of those is this distribution of the benevolence fund uh, gets way harder when you have now 5,000 people. This wasn't a little community group, but this was a megachurch. Um, and the apostles struggled to keep up with those needs as we're seeing in this passage. And they faced a question, which is a question that I'll present to you uh, right now. So as, as they and we bear witness to Jesus in the world, uh, bear witness of Jesus, uh, which is the priority of the church? Is it our physical witness on one hand? By that I mean caring for the physical needs in the community, the poor, the widow, the orphan, the sick, those in prison, the least of these. Is it our physical witness? Or is it our spiritual witness, caring for the eternal needs of the soul, helping people be saved and get to heaven, preaching the gospel from the Bible, prayer, discipleship, evangelism? This was a dilemma that they were wrestling with. 
uh, and it's still a debate in church circles in our time. Some churches in our day uh, may focus more on physical witness, and, and I think today often this looks like we're going to do a lot of racial reconciliation, socioeconomic diversity in our congregation. We're going to address mental health, offer counseling, seek justice, advocate for the least of these in, in our church and also in politics in our city and country. And then other churches might lean more towards spiritual witness. We're going to preach and teach the Bible primarily. Uh, they might even call out those other churches I've seen a lot. We can't let these temporary physical things get in the way of us bringing people to know Jesus. Who cares about physical lives on earth when our eternal souls are weighed in the balance? That needs to be the focus of the church. I've actually seen this debate play out in a quote. Uh, it's a quote that is misattributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, he never said it, but it goes like this. Always preach the gospel when necessary, use words. Always preach the gospel when necessary, use words. Uh, in other words, our acts of love themselves preach. You don't really need words accompanying those acts most of the time. This is hinting that your physical witness is the priority. And it's enough most of the time. Then others have countered by changing that quote to this. Always preach the gospel with words. They're saying, no, you need words. Those are the priority. Proclamation, evangelism, preaching, teaching. That's what people need most. And so behind this debate, there are big, deeply personal questions at stake for our church. As we grow, what are we going to do with the constantly growing physical needs in this room? The suffering, the grief, the mental illness, people's lack of resources in our church. And also, outside of these walls that you encounter every day, what are we going to do with the ever-present physical needs in our city, in our country? The injustice, the poverty, the human trafficking, the slavery the physical suffering surrounding us all the time. It also raises questions for our weekly engagement with each other. One example is this. In our community groups, should our time primarily be a time of physical care and emotional processing, or should it be a time of Bible study and prayer? Should it be uh, mainly carrying burdens and meeting each other's needs, or mainly about teaching and discipleship? So I just want to mention those just to scrape the surface of this bigger debate that happens all the time, almost every aspect of the church. Thankfully, um, I think Acts 6 actually answers this debate for us, which is really nice. It does it by asking this question. Uh, what is most important? And as we look at this passage, I want to ask three things. For our witness, one, how important is physical care? How important is spiritual proclamation? And then three, how important is the office of the deacon? Doesn't really fit with that or two, but that's the third point, all right? Uh, we're, doing, we're doing good this week just to have a sermon, all right? Let's be honest. Uh, for our witness, how important is physical care? How important is spiritual proclamation? And how important is the office of the deacon? Uh, let's pray. Father, um, many of us uh, have, have faced uh, this question in our own hearts and our own lives. Um, many of us have received physical care, given physical care. Um, receive spiritual proclamation, given spiritual proclamation, and we might be coming into this with our own thoughts and ideas, and Lord, I just pray that you would teach us. Um, teach us how you want us to be as a church, as, as your witnesses in the world. Teach us how you want us to show you to people. Um, give, us, give us wisdom in that, Jesus. Pray all this in your name. Amen. All right, first, for our witness, how important is physical care? Look with me in, in verse 1 here. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, this is, again, an understatement of the century. They just had 5,000 more people added to their church. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews 
because there, the Hellenists, widows, were being neglected in the daily distribution. So the, the Hellenists are a group of Jews from the dispersion. The dispersion meant they were living in foreign areas for quite a while because Israel was occupied by a lot of bigger powers. And those bigger powers would usually just spread them out to other places in, in those empires. Um, and because of that, these people, their primary language was Greek. And really a lot of their culture, too, was Greek. Um, and so they might have known a little Hebrew, but they would have worshipped separately as Jews in a different language. The Hebrews, on the other hand, were the Jews that were, had, been, had stayed in Israel. Their, their language was Hebrew, and their culture was Hebrew. And so both the Hellenists and the Hebrews were Jews, and the early church at this point was mostly uh, comprised of Jewish converts. But this language barrier was causing a big problem for the widows, especially the Hellenists that were being overlooked when they were distributing that benevolence fund I mentioned around each day. And the thing is, you won't be shocked to, to learn that there's some accidental mistakes made in this fund, because we find out in the next verse that the 12 apostles themselves, with their own hands, were up until this complaint, doing that distribution themselves every day for 5,000 people. This means the apostles are taking all that money, food, other necessities, every day to likely hundreds and hundreds of widows, not to mention all the other people that need help, not all in the same place probably, and giving a lot of their time and energy to this job to care for physical needs. Why would they do that? Why would they even think to do that in the, in the first place, to spend so much time on, on that themselves? Well, I thought about it. And remember who the apostles learned ministry from. What did Jesus spend a lot of his time doing? Healing the sick, feeding the hungry, casting out demons, caring for the physical needs of the crowds around him. Jesus knew about heaven and hell and about eternity and how short our physical lives are. And actually, pretty much everything that we know about eternity comes from Jesus. But he still spent tons of time caring for people's temporary physical lives. He deeply cared about us here. And he taught his disciples to do the same. He even controversially in Matthew 25 said that his apostles and us are going to be judged based on whether we gave the thirsty something to drink, whether we welcomed the stranger, whether we clothed the naked, whether we visited those in prison. Because what we do for the least of these, he said, you do for me. So no wonder the apostles wanted to do this distribution themselves, right? The reality, uh, this reality led James even to conclude one of Jesus' uh, disciples, um, true religion that is pure and, unde and undefiled before God is this, to visit widows and orphans in their affliction, was James' conclusion. In other words, our witness of physical care that is religion that's pure and undefiled. It also led the whole group of apostles in another instance, when they decided to accept Paul as an apostle and to send him to the Gentiles, they had <coughs> one caveat for him before he goes on his mission. Here's the caveat that Paul recounts in Galatians. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So given all this, our witness how important, for our witness, how important to Jesus and the apostles is physical care? I'd say it's vitally important. It's pure religion. It's something you will be judged on. It's so important that they have, when they had over 5,000 people, up until they had a complaint, they were doing all of it themselves. But you might be wondering, how does that physical care, though, bear witness to, to, about Jesus to others? So I read, this happens to me sometime, I read a story in a book somewhere at one point. I couldn't find where it was, but here's, here's the story I'd like to normally give you. It's this place and this church. But it was about a missionary church uh, trying to care for a new community in which they had been placed. 
And they had mainly one model of ministry. They were, they were like, okay, we'll get there. We're going to have conversations with people. We're going to invite them to church, tell them the gospel, and they're going to become Christians, and our church is going to grow. That was kind of their idea. This is what church is going to be. But when they got there, they had a ton of trouble. No one really seemed to listen or care what they had to say. And the thing was, they had been placed in a very poor community. People living day to day with great need, barely surviving physically. They didn't have a lot of time for a Bible study or some random conversation with a stranger. So someone in the church suggested, what if we actually just started caring for their physical lives instead? That's what they need. And so they did that. They started a food pantry, a free health clinic, a bunch of other things just designed to help people survive in that community. And as they did, things really changed. People's eyes would light up. Their hearts would open. They would ask things like, why are you giving your own resources and time and lives to help me in this? And that's when they would say, it's not us. It's actually Jesus sees you barely trying to survive, and he loves you, and he wants more for your life. He's the one who has us here. It wasn't my, it wasn't my idea. He, he wants, to, he wants to, to be with you in relationship. And the people received that witness so much better. It came to hear, they wanted to come to church and hear more about this man that cared about them so much that had these people come and, and stay there to take care of him. So this physical care was the first witness that community needed, and it created space for the spiritual witness. That's often the case for, for me and you too, I think. To bring this home, how important to the witness of Jesus is your signing up for a meal train for that pregnant mom in your community group? How important for Jesus' witness is that? Do you think of it as a form of witness to that person, to their family, to their neighbors, their friends? Tell them that Jesus cares for their bodies to be fed and for their lives to not be overwhelmed. Jesus is supporting them through you. Do you know that you're bearing witness about Jesus when you're helping your neighbor with a house project they can't tackle on their own? Do you know you're bearing witness for Jesus when you're helping with somebody's yard work? When you're giving to the benevolence fund of our church? When you're showing up to serving Greensboro on Saturday and distributing food, do you know that that's bearing witness to who Jesus is? Your daily unassuming physical care of others in our community and outside of it is vital witness that Jesus wants us to give. It's so important the apostles considered it the marker of pure and undefiled religion before God. So important the apostles wanted to do all of it themselves. So question one, how important is our physical witness? Vitally important. Now you might hear this and like some, swing the pendulum too far in this direction and say, well, that means we don't have to preach and evangelize, right? That's nice. Just love people. Um, no drama. No one's really gonna get mad at you for doing something like that. And that leads us to our second question. How important to our physical witness is spiritual proclamation? Now remember, the Hellenist widows are getting neglected because the apostles were facing a language barrier and being overwhelmed with the need. So look what the apostles do in verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So remember, everything I just said about physical care, hold on to that. It's true. And yet, while the apostles, when they realize that they can only do one form of witness effectively, they choose for themselves 
spiritual proclamation over that physical care, specifically preaching, the ministry of the word, and prayer. But why would spiritual proclamation be so important to them that they choose it over physical care for themselves? Remember again who taught them ministry. Jesus put a really high priority on preaching, teaching, and prayer for himself. Most of the gospels that we have are sermons and teaching of Jesus written down for us. The Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain, the High Priestly Prayer, the Kingdom Parables. I could go on and on. In those, he taught us with words everything we know about heaven, about hell, how to get to God, how to be reborn, how to become holy, how to understand the scriptures. All things that without any words would have been impossible for you to comprehend. Paul even says it would be impossible to be in a relationship with God, to call on God, without preaching with words. Listen to his logic in Romans. He says, how then will they call on him, God, whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those that preach the good news. So Paul's saying to believe, they need to hear. To hear, someone needs to tell them. And for someone to tell them, someone has to send that person to do that job. And Jesus is the sender. His last main command to his apostles is to preach and teach. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. What does it mean to make disciples, Jesus? Let me tell you. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. In other words, I've taught you a ton of stuff. And now your job is to go tell them all that stuff. He even says that as they teach and preach in the synagogues and the courts for kings and rulers, that he himself is going to miraculously give them what they're going to say in that moment. So they don't have to worry about what you're going to say, I'm going to tell you. And actually the New Testament that you have is the written down teachings and preachings of those people. That's our New Testament. And so given all that, you might understand why the apostles could not even conceive of stopping spiritual proclamation to focus on physical care. Jesus preached a ton. He told us to do it. No one could even know God without it. And so we have to keep doing it. And so to them, spiritual proclamation is vitally important also to our witness. I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I've noticed in my own attempts to bear witness about Jesus to others that I get caught often in physical care only because I'm too nervous to cross the line to share about who Jesus is with words because it feels really taboo, right? So I worked in a restaurant and seminary, and I tried really hard to have these physical care practices that were different um, because of, of Jesus. Um, so I, I would, when someone was overwhelmed in their section as a server, then I would come and try and help, <coughs> help them in their section. Um, even, even at the expense of what was going on in my section. Um, if uh, at the end of your, of your shift you would tip out the busser, you would give them a, a certain amount of money, and you would tip out the bar, and there was kind of regulations for that, but I would always want to tip more than what, than what they said because of Jesus. And then also um, when people were in need or struggling, then I would do things like we do in the church, like I would bring them a meal to their house or something like that. And <coughs> those uh, practices were noticed, but the thing is, the interpretation of that care by others without any words from me were always wrong. Um, something often that was the exact opposite of what I hoped to bear witness to. Um, often it was, man, you're just like a really good person. I would like to kind of be a good person and get my life together more like you. It's like that is the exact opposite of the whole message that I would like to give to you. Um, or um, here's another exact opposite. Are you... I mean, I've been saying a lot of crude jokes. Like, are you judging me now because of that? Are you judging me because, like, I like to drink and do, like, stuff on the weekend. Is that bad? Like, you know, like, are you going to judge me now? 
And again, I realized without any words from me, I actually bore witness to the wrong things. I bore witness to whatever they assumed, which actually for these people could not be Jesus because they didn't know Jesus. So my experience was similar to the first impression the apostles got in Acts, actually. Remember after Peter healed that crippled guy, the people first looked to Peter as the Savior, as if he carried that power all on his own, which is why he was like, first he's like, don't look at me, man, it was Jesus. And then the apostles, remember when they had miraculously spoken tongues in Acts 2, uh, people thought they were drunk. Like, oh, they've been filled with some new wine, it looks like. How could they have possibly seen Jesus in those actions? Because they didn't know Jesus. So the apostles would use words, spiritual proclamation, to clarify the truth of what was happening. This is Jesus. We are nothing. Don't worry about us. He is everything. And you can have life in his name if you just believe in him. That's why we're doing all this. Which makes it easier to understand why they wouldn't want to stop that proclamation and just do physical care. And when I think about the American church from my generation and younger especially, I think it can be tempting to be so overwhelmed with the physical needs that we have as a body, uh, as a church, or outside, that we can go in the opposite direction, make the opposite decision the apostles did, and say physical care is where we need to pour all of our time and energy into. We need deep emotional connection with with each other. We need a counseling center. We need to seek justice. We need to fix these broken systems. We need racial reconciliation. We need to advocate politically. Everything from point number one, let's focus on those things. But the hard truth, and it's a truth that the apostles knew, is that if that physical witness exists without spiritual proclamation accompanying it, then those deeds are misunderstood. And they only serve to make people more comfortable on the road to an eternity spent without God. Jesus cared for our lives here and for our lives there. And so he spent a lot of time doing physical care and spiritual proclamation. And we can't give up spiritual proclamation at the expense of, we can't give up that just to do physical care. So this is why the apostles wouldn't let go of it. So to summarize, for our witness, how important is physical care? Vitally important. How important is spiritual proclamation? Vitally important. Which means the apostles had to come up with a solution that allowed for physical and spiritual witness to both function simultaneously. And that leads us to our third question, which, which now makes more sense. Uh, The solution to the issue, for our witness, how important is the office of the deacon? So look at their solution starting in in verse 2. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now the word serve here is uh, Greek for diakonin, uh, which means, uh, is, is, is a verb to serve, but our noun, deacon, comes directly from that word. Uh, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, and we will uh, appoint them to this duty. Uh, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said was pleasing to the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. So these seven guys are the first deacons, the ones who will serve tables while the apostles continue preaching and teaching and praying. These deacons will do that daily distribution and look after the physical needs of the church. And they were set apart for this office by the laying on of hands. And the church since then has had the office of the deacon. And we, Hope Chapel, are part of that, part of that tradition. Our our denomination, the ARP, has governing documents, and, and this is what they say about the office of a deacon. 
Uh, they said it's one of sympathy and service after the example of Christ that they should be responsible for the church's, uh, a congregation's ministry to those in material need or distress in all such things as can be covered by the term mercy ministry. And according to the scripture, not just anybody can be a deacon. Paul gives us qualifications in 1 Timothy 3. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. And he goes on, he has a long uh, list of things that, you need, that, that, that needs to be the case. So we have three official deacons in our church, uh, Jeremy Friends, Marianne Weatherly, and Kathy York, and they take care of people who are in distress and in need in our church. We also have a lot of unofficial deacons, your community group leaders being uh, a huge contingent of that category. Uh, and make no mistake, for those of you serving in this capacity in some way, your serving tables is a witness to others. I asked our deacons before the service to tell me a story of when God used their work to witness to who Christ was. And they gave me a couple of examples. I'm going to tell one of, one of them to you now. One example was the sickness and eventual death of a member of our congregation, Jan Hanner, who was also a spouse of another person in our congregation, Kevin Hanner. Um, and this was a long process, a long time of her being sick um, and then passing away. And so the, the deacons, the clear moments for the deacons to step in and care, they, they coordinated meals, uh, transportation, house cleaning, brought on the prayer team, the, commu- the Hanner's community group, um, to help carry the large burden of sickness first, and then the large burden of loss, and then of grief. Not just with Kevin, but also with Jan's family and friends. And they said that other people who knew Jan that weren't Christians came to them afterwards and said that that care ministered to them. That means they, they encountered Jesus they saw shalom. They saw life as it was meant to be through the work of the deacons in the Hanner's life. And also notice this is exactly what happens in Acts 6 and in verse 7 here. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now the priests of the temple were largely Hellenist and were largely poor. And so notice the apostles were wise enough to get seven Hellenist men to be deacons to address this issue. All those names they mentioned are Greek names. And these Hellenist widows who were being overlooked previously were now being cared for so well on a daily basis that other non-Christian Hellenists noticed. And they heard spiritual proclamation from the apostles. And that dual witness led them to become obedient to the faith. And now tons of the priests of the temple are Christians as a result of the work of the deacons. So this is Jesus' will for our church. It's physical witness and spiritual witness together. And the, the office of the deacon is vitally important for that. So I want to leave you with a few questions from this sermon. Uh, we all need to both receive witness about who Jesus is and know him better. And we also all need to give witness, bear witness about who Jesus is to others. And so <coughs> given that, question one. Which form of witness, physical or spiritual, do you need to receive more of to know Jesus better in this season of life? If you feel like you're just surviving, you're doing life alone, it's hard to believe that God is with you in that sometimes. You may need others to bear physical witness to you. Avail yourselves of the deacons. Get in a community group. Let them know your needs. 
taste Jesus' care for you through the people he's put in place to do that. It's a good thing to do. Maybe you feel like, on the other end, you don't know enough about Jesus or the Bible or theology, and you don't even know, am, am I really saved? And so you need spiritual proclamation. One place you can get that is at church each week to hear God's word read and preached. You can meet with a pastor or elder or staff person to, to go through a book of the Bible or ask questions. You can take time each day yourself sitting with the witnesses passed down in the Bible. You can get a study Bible that helps explain what's going on. So question one, which form of witness, physical or spiritual, do you need to receive more of to know Jesus better in this season of life? And then second, which form of witness, physical or spiritual, might Jesus be asking you to bear more of to others? Maybe you're loving people really well. Maybe you're like me, and, but they don't know why. It would be fitting to say, like Peter and Acts, hey, this isn't about me, by the way. Jesus put me here in this moment in your life to show you that he hasn't given up on you. He cares about you, and he is seeking you right now. If this is you, you might need more spiritual proclamation to better get your witness across to people in your life. Or maybe you're, on the other end, you're great at evangelistic conversations. You're great at crossing that line, but people seem generally uninterested or antagonistic. Maybe Jesus wants you to show them that he loves them first through your care for them before they're ready to hear words. So which form of witness for you, physical or spiritual, might Jesus be asking you to bear to others more? There's two questions to chew on in your community groups tonight. But all this can be scary as we bear witness, receive it, and bear, bear witness to others. I want us to remember Jesus' promise that it's better that he goes away for his Holy Spirit can come and live in us. And that Holy Spirit in you can give you boldness to witness to people who are far, far from God. And he gives your words and your deeds power in that person's life to actually shift their hearts to know and love God. Isn't that crazy? He did that for me. He did that for you guys. And so obviously you can do that with the people you're witnessing to. How beautiful are the feet that bring the good news. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this wisdom uh, and this guidance. Thank you that we don't have to choose between one of these things, that we've got lots of people and we can divide up offices like the deacons to focus on certain things. And that, Lord, you call all of us individually, too, to both of these tasks. So give us wisdom as we think this week um, about what we need to grow in, um, what witness we need to receive more of, what, what witness we need to give more of. And um, through that, Lord, will we know you better and will we see others know you better, too. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.